And this is Mike from Pop Culture Review, and this is the Avenue 5 Podcast. Tonight we're talking about Episode 7 of Season 1, Are You a spider Matt? It was a story by Armando Iannucci, Charlie Cooper, and Daisy Cooper, written by Charlie Cooper and Daisy Cooper, directed by Becky Martin. How are you doing, Paul? What do you think of tonight's Are You a spider Matt? Maybe you can help me understand the significance of seeing the Pope's face in the shit field. I mean, it's funny. I'm sure I'm supposed to be getting something more out of it. I mean, is it, is it like Sinead O'Connor tearing up the picture of the Pope? I think the same way that they kind of attack marriage and bad fathers in the show, or satire them tonight was a little bit of religious satire the whole idea of if i was the pope i wouldn't want to appear in shit you know i'd i'd want to appear in something else something more traditional like an apple core or something like that i'm not even the pope and i don't want to appear in shit oh shit there goes my first question if you could appear anywhere where would you want to appear if you were if you were so inclined to be a a, a religious apparition just about anything besides (laughs) shit (laughs) i I hear you though i feel like kaka papa actually had a little bit of a ring to it it made me laugh and i definitely wrote it down in my notes i like that it gave frank something to hang his hat on he wasn't uh karen's arm candy anymore he was the guy who could show you how to see the pope in the shit field he pushed away from her because she even actively tried to take him down from this job yeah this was his thing he he's gonna become the religious cult leader as it turns out who could have seen that coming they're getting ready to push him out of an airlock two weeks ago that's a real turnaround (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i mean he's he's made lemons out of shit literally you saw the pope's face right yeah for sure for sure, right? Okay, because, you know, can, am, am I the only one seeing it? Are there really characters that can't see it? I didn't think so, though. I was like, it's pretty obvious. Like, it looks... I don't know that I would have come up with JP2, but I would have said that is a face of a person. And then when he said John Paul II, I was like, oh, yeah, I see it. <laughs> yep. Did you ever, like, look at clouds and, like, see rabbits or animals? Were you one of those people who had the imagination to do that? I am still one of those people that can occasionally make out something familiar it's usually you know something from a star wars movie (laughs) since that seems to make up most of my imagination anyway (laughs) i see a lot of adats in the sky it's really crazy a lot of of tie fighters a lot of star destroyers i was never particularly good at that but i hit upon the fact that your typical grounded outlet you know the one that's like the two plugs then like the thick bottom plug so it's like three holes Uh, looks like a face screaming. And that's all I see now when I see outlets. About 10 years ago, I was staring at an outlet and it hit me and it has haunted me ever since. And it's the only thing I see. I feel like I'm like shoving something in the face of the outlet when I plug something in. Yeah, it's something about that bilateral symmetry or whatever that's called. It looks like two eyes. The front of cars has always looked like a face to me. Sure, very much so, especially like a European sports car, because they tend to have like some kind of decoration or chrome that kind of curves where like a mouth would be mm-hmm. between the round eyes. Yeah, but like the the wide eyes and then like the O face uh, mouth, like you're about to do something bad to the outlet. I never saw until I was in my early 30s, late 20s, and ever since it's the only thing I see when I see an outlet, so... I don't know. That's probably something about me. Maybe I had like a bad electrical experience when I was younger that I don't remember. When you plug things in, do you make little screaming sounds? (laughs) 
<laughs> not not in mixed company, but you know, sometimes like when I'm alone, I'd be like, <laughs> like, don't don't do that to me. I'm not hungry. No. Maybe I was also forced as a child. Who knows? That's a different podcast, though. Mike's therapy sessions. Yeah. But, everything, uh, you, everything you've told me about young Mike leaves that all on the table. <laughs> uh, but back to this episode, though, I was happy for Frank. I'm glad that he got out of Karen's thumb a little bit. I'm glad they stood up for her. But kind of a, also a weird thing. Yes. The show, if nothing else, remains unpredictable. And I'll give it a lot of credit. Uh, Pope John Paul in the shit was not something I would have predicted eight weeks ago. Let's see. Going back to predictions, we predicted a shortage of food, but they, they gave us a twist on that mm-hmm. in this episode. It was a shortage on food flavor. Yes. Which, yes. you know, it's kind of, I didn't even know that that was a thing to run out of (laughs) i guess in the future you know maybe we've all switched to a like tofu based diet uh, entirely and so you need flavor seasonings or else it just tastes like the matrix when uh, it's just gruel basically unless you can imagine that you're eating something delicious yeah tasty wheat etc it looks like running boogers i i like the fact that harrison refers to it as bat guano or he refers to it as guano during the captain's day flavorless guano that's what he calls it that definitely paints a certain picture of what the food tastes like without the flavor seasonings Speaking of Harrison, he seems, that actor seems to be one of HBO's, like, bench players. Yes. He crops up in a lot of HBO stuff. I saw him and I was like, hey, it's that guy. He's Holy Wayne from The Leftovers. I always felt the Holy Wayne plotline was an unfulfilled reservoir of great plot, but I feel like they never did enough with it. It might also be that I, I'm just remembering that wrong. It's one of the great mysteries of the first season of, of The Leftovers. Was Holy Wayne for real, or was he full of shit? There's no answer. It's almost like if you believe Nora's telling the truth, then you probably believe Holy Wayne was, <laughs> was a healer or whatever. Well, you know, I guess one day if we see Holy Wayne's face in a cloud of shit flying around the a spaceship will have our answer. Yeah, we'll know the truth. Because JP2 was one of the good ones. Wasn't a Nazi, didn't touch kids. That's the resume for the good popes. So. <laughs> right, right. What we used to think of as just as like a baseline is actually kind of like gets you like a grade of like seven or better. Yeah. <laughs> Those halcyon days. The show was on full blast for the things that it likes to pick a bone at. We got some religious satire. And I think that's what it has to be. You have Ryan making that, that speech at the end of the episode with Matt standing like to his side down below, proselytizing, giving some hallelujahs and amens and testifying with his hands in the air, talking about the importance of faith and science and with Billy saying you know science doesn't require faith that's the point of science you know the idea that they all have to kind of believe in the science to get them home I felt it was all kind of tied up in this idea that people with religious convictions are silly I think I think that's kind of what the subplot of that was because Frank is kind of a silly man right isn't that isn't that what we've kind of heard all season basically yeah, and that moral, I guess, is very Hollywood, right? Sure, 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 sure. The spirituality's okay, but religion, eh. uh, There was a line in a Schitt's Creek episode a couple of weeks ago. Alexis leads some girlfriends accidentally to a cult, cult meeting at a gym. And uh, she says, this doesn't seem like one of the good cults where you follow like a hot Indian guy for a couple of months and you come out with a rock and yoga bod. The idea that like some religion is okay, you know, some some kooky religious spiritual ideas are fine, but organized religion is almost a taboo subject. Yeah. So that was a religious thing, which I haven't really hit on too much, but it definitely seems on brand for the show. But we definitely had Matt, who seemed to be falling apart at the seams this week. He was attacking 
fathers and marriage. Both. Usually we get one or the other. I think in this episode we got both. What did you think about Matt seemingly falling apart? He looked like a mess in all of his hollow vids. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like the hollow vids, they seem to be more frequent. A couple weeks ago you quoted one where it was something about, do you like to drink? I know my dad did or some, yeah. something to that effect. Yep. And that almost that same joke was retold this week, something to the effect of staying away from home. Do you like to stay away from home? I know my dad sure did. Or some, something to that effect. He was talking about going to happy hour at the bar. And he ends it with, your dad won't be there. He never is. You know, oh, that's like, right. yeah. That's right. Right. I, that's like towards like the middle end of the episode. And at the beginning, he's got the line about something is awkward. And he's like, just like marriage. Maybe it's just Matt's particular character. But if, it's funny, though. I, I laugh every time at all of the jokes. But it's it's an interesting thing that they just definitely keep going back to. There was a great exchange with Billy, Iris, and Ryan where uh, Billy says we're going to watch his suicide. And then Iris says we're going to tell HR that we didn't know see any signs beforehand. And then Ryan says, I'm pretty sure he spent uh, time as a child locked in a cage. It was just like a really nice, like they all notice Matt. Sometimes Matt seems like he's like this mythical creature who just floats around on the ship spreading chaos. But no, they see him. They see him a lot. <laughs> The, those three people don't actually all get along very well. But in that moment, they could all agree, this is weird, right? That was one of my chuckles. Even though Judd cast him aside at the end of last week, uh, after Space Baby uh, was resolved, we saw Matt back with Judd again, which is a new, newish pairing where he's trying to school Judd on good comebacks. He was laid into Judd pretty good about how his insecurities and stuff, what is he, something about his, like, being, basically being, like, a woman and, like, having, like, hormone replacement therapy and just like how did you know about that you know it was pretty funny <laughs> this was um a weird i thought weird timing to introduce harrison and and yes. then introduce basically this kind of kryptonite to judd's know-it-all swagger i mean he's been he's been pretty steady this whole time and then all of a sudden this character comes out of nowhere has no fear of judd in fact enjoys putting him down and putting him in his place i wonder why they waited i wonder what 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 the deal is with keeping Harrison on, on the on the sideline? Even it seems like he he would have been complaining this whole time. This is the kind of actor that really pops. He can own a screen, so you can give this guy a lot of lines, and he's gonna sell it. He's gonna play like a snotty little bitch who's calling Judd Fudd intentionally throughout the episode and it made me laugh every time he did it because it was so intentionally passive aggressive I, I really right. enjoyed it i like this episode because it was kind of all over the place it kept us moving it never bogged down in any one character but we got to see new passengers like harrison but we also got to see barbara and mike who we hadn't seen like i want the i want the passengers in this kind of setting come in you come out you come in you come out but i agree with you harrison seems to be the kind of character we would have heard about a super rich passenger who likes to complain. Seems like someone we would have heard about earlier. Well, someone that could potentially be as rich as Judd. It sounds like he might be richer than Judd. He's got three trillions. One more than you have a nostril. Trillions. <laughs> the way Iris describes it is very convoluted. But I like the Harrison character. I, get, I hope we get to see him more. But I also did like the fact that we were cycling through passengers versus just going back to me and Doug. You know, we had very little me and Doug this week, and I was totally good with that. I didn't even miss them. No, no. It was like a reprieve. Like, the governor called. You don't have to go through me it, and it, Doug anymore. It's almost like the show, like, realized it mid-season because after halfway, they kind of a, they abandoned the Matt doing marriage therapy with them. And they seem to put Matt now with Judd. Like, when Matt's not just doing his one-liners by himself, 
he's now kind of with Judd or he's with Ryan. It seems like the show made a correction to shift away from too much Mia and Doug. And Karen, too. The last few episodes, not a lot of Karen. They've been using her sparingly, which I think makes her character more effective. Same with Mia and Doug. It was funny watching Mia be weird with Mads at the captain's table and Doug being drunk just a couple of tables away. That was all I needed. Just that little splash of them. Yeah, good call. What did you think of VR golf? You're a VR guy. So I, I was I was, I was, was watching and I was like, I wonder what Paul's take on this is going to be. My first take was, man, I would have thought VR would have been further along by then. <laughs> you were surprised that they had men dressed in green suits carrying fans and trees around? <laughs> It still looked like today's VR in terms of graphic quality. I would expect oh, that, it to be like yeah. really high fidelity shit by then. But but the concept of getting to be something that you want to be is something that is very much in some of the more open-ended VR platforms that are available now. It's kind of the promise made by Ready Player One to the reading and movie-going masses. I think it, it lines up with what people kind of hope and want out of VR. I just thought it would have kind of looked looked better. But the, the aspect of them actually being in physical proximity to each other and all that kind of stuff, but just seeing it through the virtual lens, I thought that was pretty cool. It was interesting how they all represented themselves. Harrison was super tall, basically looked like himself, but like three feet taller. Ryan looked exactly like himself. Matt obviously comes up as a spider because he always appreciated their industri- you know, their industrialism. But and but you have Judd coming up as the Judy Garland character. If you had an avatar, what would your avatar look like if you were gonna play a round of golf? Something pretty badass, like Robocop or you know, some something like that. Nice, like like a Terminator. Like I will yeah. address the ball now. <laughs> you know, right. Is. Exactly. What about you? Probably something like that too. Probably probably something along the lines of like a Terminator or like like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, maybe mm-hmm. like Leonardo and I would use like one of my samurai swords and set up a golf club, you know, like something like that. I would definitely be at least six and a half feet tall, though. Obviously, yeah. yeah. I think Harrison had the right uh, had the right take. It was funny that Ryan appeared exactly like himself, but Iris was that like troll. You know, she looked like a like a cartoon troll kind of thing. It was pretty funny. Well, the captain suit is Ryan's disguise, right? Oh, look at that! He was he was in disguise. You're absolutely right. Well, let's talk about Sandy the lawyer. This is a kind of another new character that we saw. So we saw Harrison use Sandy the lawyer, who's on the ship to serve Judd papers for a possible lawsuit. But then we saw Sandy the lawyer find Ryan and Billy down in engineering. He's taking a break from the ice rink to serve him divorce papers. That thruple really is no more. What was your take continuing to develop Ryan's personal life? Really, the only character is getting really a good personal life. It feels like they might be setting Ryan up. I mean, he's been he's been breaking down in, in episodes calm and i can't stress this enough the fuck down yeah breaking down but but then recovering if it were some other case then i think the thruple divorce would have just been handled by that phone call basically the the tv logic would take over from there in terms of you really wouldn't need to see being served with papers and all that other shit you just kind of assume well that's that and just leave it but by reminding us it's almost like they're saying there's a purpose to reminding it and that i think that purpose might be so that the dam finally breaks we remember well you know he's going through all this personal stuff hopefully it'll probably be part of what turns out to be a redemption story because he does seem to have great leadership moments that come out of his personal life being extra shit. So the worst his personal life seems, his professional life seems to step up. 
So, you know, when he's getting served those divorce papers, it's at the same time he's realizing his message never went through to Earth, you know, his his plea for them to take him back. And at the same time that he's learning from Billy that he has to learn, well, at that time he thought he had three and a half years to learn something that it takes a normal person five years to learn with docking the ship. So he was getting a lot of bad information all at once, you know, mm-hmm. and then so it's not a surprise when he kind of loses his shit in his English accent at dinner, which I always thought was weird that no one called him on because that captain's table dinner was with people who really haven't seen English Ryan. They've mostly still only seen American accent accented Ryan, but no one called him on it when he when he stood up and kind of stormed out of dinner. I think we're watching Ryan slowly break apart here the same way we're kind of seeing Matt actually also fall apart. So it's going to be interesting what happens with these two as the season kind of you know races to the finish are they going to break and fall apart or are they going to break and then you know rise up you know higher like a phoenix kind of thing speaking you brought up billy a second ago were you surprised that they're trying to have the uh, comedian move in on what you what i think you had mentioned some potential sparks between her and the captain i was surprised that they went there but i was more not that jordan the comic the jordan the saddest comic ever was interested in her i mean she's obviously she's attractive she's smart i thought it was interesting that they showed her having some level of attraction to him because initially she's kind of blowing him off you know she does turn down the captain's table offer from ryan and to go sit over with the comic and then we do hear her giving that billy laugh to a couple of the things that he's saying so i thought that was interesting not that jordan was interested but that she seemed a little bit interested but then at the same stroke it's watching ryan storm away from the table that gives her her epiphany so in the end ryan you know jordan being there wasn't really important to her business-minded focus. I was a little confused by the way that it was all constructed because every time that the camera was right on them, she seemed, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 interest level, she seemed about a 3. When they were looking at them from afar, then all of a sudden she's doing the Billy laugh and everything seems like they're everything is going great and then they come back and it's like i'm interested in something else i need to get going i'm not even going to tell you that i'm just going to get up and go it seemed a little incongruous and a little confusing to me but i guess like we'll just i'll just go with she's not that interested just yet yeah you know romance doesn't seem to be her biggest motivator she really does seem 95 percent consumed by her work and trying to get them in the best situation home alive in the in the least amount of time for the little bit that is romance oriented i actually want to see her with ryan i actually think i like them together i think they're one of those couples that i don't know if brings out the best in the other is the right thing but i find them an interesting and amusing match you know she is good for him because she will simultaneously prop him up and make him feel good about himself but also remind him that he is a dolt he's like borderline incompetent so she does both really well with him. He is just kind of vulnerable with her. I feel like he's more vulnerable with her than he is with anyone. I think they're an interesting pairing. Uh, yeah, so I, I would like to see them together. So I hope if they're going to put her with anyone, I don't want her, them to put her with the comic. I want her to be with Ryan, I guess. That's that's <laughs> that's my ship, goddammit. What did you think of the most awkward captain's table dinner ever? This was not a great dinner. Top of the food apparently being very disgusting. Maybe the tomatoes, the tomatoes seemed good. Apparently that was the consensus. My takeaway on that is Ryan should have never agreed to going to dinner that night after getting the papers served. He was not ready to schmooze and he shouldn't have even tried. 
but he acknowledges to Billy before he's leaving for dinner. He's like, you would think that this would be the worst I'm going to feel. But now I'm going to go up to a dinner where I have to put on a face and that's going to be the worst I'm going to feel, you know? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. he knew he was walking into something that he was not going to enjoy or do well at. Uh, but it does set him up, though, for the big climactic finish. His explosion of standing up and pushing back inspires Billy and it leads them all back into the Jesus poop chamber, you know, the the, the hallowed halls of Kaka Papa. Were you inspired by Ryan's speech? To the masses, were you ready to go grab some non-essential luggage and jettison it out the back? I guess the bigger uh, question might have been if it was just a matter of mass and they knew that they had the 500 uh, what they considered extra people about like week three. It seems like the solution was, was there the whole time. It also strikes me as weird that the weight of 500 people makes the difference between three and a half years and six months. I agree. I, you know, I don't know astro navigation or even physics that well, but it just doesn't seem like that would be the, the scale. You know what, though? That does line up with, what was his name, Cyrus? The grungy engineer guy. His whole thing was... It's six months until he remembered the extra 500 people. And then he went from six months up to three and a half years, adding six months onto the original three years projection. So I guess the show actually has been pretty consistent about 500 people and three years difference. For whatever reason, I guess thinking about it, though, that does show some internal logic. Because that was what, back in episode two? Yeah, I, apparently if the weight of 500 people uh, is the equivalent to three years in space-time, thrust-wise. I don't know, it's weird. Now we know. <laughs> uh, but, you know, of course nothing ever goes great. Billy and Ryan are having this great moment. And then they both, well, Billy realizes that it, when three and a half years wasn't enough time to teach Ryan how to dock the ship properly... Six months is definitely not the right amount of time to teach him how to dock the ship, right? I like that whole plot mainly because it brought back Joe, the guy who really was pulling the strings, the real mastermind of this entire trip who died back in episode one. I thought it was actually nice that they called back to him. The The show is oddly consistent with those kinds of callbacks, which you wouldn't expect because it's all no. over the place. But, yeah. Half hour comedy especially, there's often some fudging when it comes to those sorts of details. I was wondering in that whole session, did I did I sleep through a plot point? Like, when did they bring up this needing to dock with the rescue ship? Is that fresh just this week and I was just supposed to accept it as something that, that they've been working toward this whole time? They, they've been working towards the idea that there was going to be a window, a very short window, just a couple hours where a supply ship could meet them. And it had something to do with the idea of launching the 500 rescue pods and all of that stuff. But yeah. I, I think it expanded this week into not just a rescue ship, but like the supply ship, I guess. And with the docking ring. So I think it built on an idea that we've known that they were working towards. The idea of some kind of rescue ship going up into space oh. to do something with them. This was the first we definitely heard of the docking ring. What did Billy call it? A floating airport terminal? I think something like that. Or like a, yeah. like a That was the first we've heard of that. But I think the idea that there was some that they were approaching a point of being close to Earth where NASA or Mission Control is going to send some kind of ship towards them. I feel like that has been a plot point, a a lightly discussed plot point for a couple weeks now. But no, the docking rig was a brand new thing. It made me think of the prequels of Star Wars, where they introduced the idea that the small fighters could 
jump to hyperspace, but they yeah. need the they need the big rings though to do it. Right. If you watch the cartoons, or I think it's in the prequels too. Uh, I feel like Obi Wan does it in one of the movies where yeah. he takes his little ship in like the big ring, and then the ring can hyperspace. And that was kind of the idea I had in my mind. Maybe. I'm pretty sure he, when he's going to Camino, he needs one of those. Yeah, because the those kinds of ships can't do that long distance travel, so they need the extra booster. I think. So, right. Camino. Oh, I really like that. You know, Attack of the Clones really picked up for me once he got the Camino. Actually, I, I, the movie became interesting to me once that plot point kicked in. Yeah, if you cut out all of the nonsense with Anakin and Hayden Christensen's horrible acting and all of the romance bullshit with him and Padme, episode two is not that bad. It becomes an hour less, but it actually makes it a much more interesting movie when you cut out all of that. <laughs> and the C-3PO related shenanigans in the droid factory. C-3PO always, that's his business. You know, that's that's what he does. He gets chopped up and cut into pieces and needs Chewbacca to put them back together. Before we leave Avenue 5 and we head down to Mission Control for the Rav storyline, and I was happy Rav got a lot of a lot of storyline this week. What did you think of Mike and Barbara and the confession that their child's been in a coma for 18 months, but they still booked an eight-week space flight? <laughs> that seem warranted like you know mom and dad still have to take vacations even with a kid in a coma for 18 months not acceptable that's actually something that believe it or not i can relate to because i have chronically ill children so the idea of not advertising vacation because you don't know what kind of judgment you'll receive and you just don't have time for it is is actually kind of familiar and and I don't totally begrudge them. I mean it makes kind of good comedy in in actuality it's just sort of a gentleman's agreement amongst amongst families in that situation that we're not going to judge you and you're not going to judge us. So it's not a very fun answer, but I can sympathize with them. Knock on wood, I've been blessed to not have to deal with that situation, but I could empathize a little bit. I wasn't as turned off as everyone else as the table was to it. But the idea of taking a vacation when your child or any kind of family member is in that perpetual state, there's definitely something that you have to take care of yourself a little bit. So maybe this wasn't the best trip to do just because of, I can't imagine space tra space travel is so safe and for eight weeks that is two months away. But yeah, I didn't really begrudge them that either. I probably wouldn't have brought it up at dinner with strangers, you know? Probably right. something that requires a little more context to discuss before you just kind of be like, yeah, this is the thing we're doing. But uh, yeah, no, it did provide for some good awkward comedy. Again, you know, I, I like new characters. Hopefully we don't see them again. I don't need to see Barbara and Mike ever again. Maybe an update to see how their kid is doing, you know, in next season or something. But yeah, bring them in, make me laugh a little bit, move them out. That's that's what I'm looking for from the passengers. Let's talk about the Queen of Death. What did you think? Is Rav getting a bum rap here down on Earth? With her "fuck you, Rabs," those protester signs. <laughs> Before that, and, and I do want to get there. Um, I, I did catch this week's prognostication. For, for those that maybe didn't pay attention, what was the historical prediction this week? It was that Toby Maguire gets his throat slit in prison. What a sad ending for a great Spider-Man. No kidding. Seems like a wholesome guy, right? But yeah, you never know. You never really know a guy. I like how they doled it out, too. It was, oh, Tobey Maguire's dead in prison with a slit throat. You know, the, the little ellipsis, the little pause really made it funny. Uh, I got to tell you, Zach Woods uh, has really been the MVP consistently week in and week out. Even his weakest episodes still are the funniest parts of them every week for me. Okay, back to Rav. Back to Rav. Back to the Queen of Death. Uh, so, so Rav is taking the full responsibility for the 500 possible dead passengers not other president not judd rav 
fair, not fair. This is what she signed on for. She she who holds the keys is the head of mission control, who's maybe not in control of the mission. <laughs> I mean, this is it's 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 kind of hard to come up with like a uh, an equivalent in today's terms to see because that's what what my mind goes to. Like, how would I feel about this? Well, how would I feel about something like that happening now? And I mean, do I know who the mission? commander or the the flight lead or whatever the right terminology is at, at nasa right now and i live in houston no <laughs> so, <laughs> well shame on you motherfucker shame on you right so if if there's a problem in space right now i don't know who to go pick it i mean is this is this my responsibility to, to know this uh, i i guess that part of the plot felt like how do they even know? I mean, how's she? How how's how's this happening? The part where she's having to to take the entire rap for it definitely felt unfair. And um, given the way that the episode ends, it felt like they needed to come up with a reason for her to want to go. You know, it it does accomplish something that the show has struggled with of how to deal with mission con- rap and mission control on the ground and everyone else up on the ship and and splitting that screen time. This is actually a great way to bring her into the fold so she'll get to interact with everyone in the same place at the same time. So, you know, I thought it was a good I thought it was a good way to do that. I thought it was funny that after all the talking about the bad food on the ship, the thing she throws out and doesn't take with them is the flavor seasonings. So, man, they're yes. not she's she is not walking into a good reception even up in space cuz she didn't throw, bring the the flavor bits. So. Yes. When you were saying about the leaving mission control, it reminded me of something that I, I heard when I was listening to the Battlestar Galactica podcast back when that was a thing. It was it was the primary reason they needed to get rid of the Pegasus was that the budget didn't have room for two sound stages. There you go. Because <laughs> the, the sets were different between the two Battlestars. Oh, that's so, funny. Yeah. So they, they, they couldn't afford it anymore. They had to get rid of one. Uh, so I wonder, you know, if if they're like, well, you can have the show go to season two, but, you know, we might not be able to check in with Mission Control so much. Which is funny because they've shown us a lot of Avenue 5. Now that I'm thinking about it, we've actually seen a lot of the ship and they're all giant sets. So I wonder if that's right. really a concern because, I mean, even Karen's God Room that she set up in, that's an enormous looking set. If not wide or deep. It is very high looking. I mean, you could tell that it's a high ceiling room. All of the elaborate, like Judd, Judd's room, which is this massive cave. The other executive suite that we got to see Karen, you know, being offered. The the big open space where they have all of the ship meetings, the full ship meetings. They've they've built some really elaborate, large sets for Avenue Five. Plus, we're gonna miss Alan if they get rid of uh, you know Mission Control, and uh, he he comes up with some good snark. He's like the mat on the ground. He's a, he's kind of a mat in training. He's a little mat in training. He's not as uh for he's not as nihilistic. He's not as uh, chaos oriented. You know, it was funny. I was watching this again at the same time I had recently watched the upcoming Shit's Creek episode. In that episode, there are protesters. They're protesting something Moira did, and they're Canadian and they're very polite. All of their signs say, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. That wasn't very nice what you said. You know, please apologize. Very polite Canadian protesters. 
I was struck by it because these guys are vicious. They're like, fuck you, Ram, fuck it. Like, that's what their signs say. Even the, the commentator, you, you mentioned a couple weeks ago about how censorship, the words you can't say on television must have been greatly relaxed in the future. Because, <laughs> yes. right, the guy opens the episode. He's like, does, does Rav even give a fuck? You know, <laughs> I was really taken by how vicious the language was for the protesters. We have two episodes left. We thought it was only eight episodes, Paul, but it's actually a nine episode season. What a bonus. Yes. Yeah, so, you know what? I got to tell you, the last couple of weeks, I'm digging the show more. I, I don't feel like it's necessarily the chore I felt in the beginning of the season. I don't know that if we weren't doing this podcast, I would still be watching them currently. I'd probably maybe binge them, but I think I would watch them. I would definitely give them an, a look probably just not in a very timely fashion next week is the penultimate episode as it turns out and then march 15th will be the season finale episode nine of the season uh predictions we all love doing uh, predictions on this show i stand by the idea that food is going to be an issue especially i mean the, we mentioned the twist on the food flavoring and now that the flavoring was pulled out of the ship you know i was thinking that hunger would be the thing but Given the way that this show works and the way that the passengers behave, they could riot just about bland food, and that would be pretty plausible in the way that the show's gone so far. Apparently, all it takes is a charismatic passenger to rabble-rouse. I mean, you had that one woman a couple weeks ago who had really uh, whipped everyone, including Judd, into a frenzy to throw Frank out of an airlock. And we had never even seen that woman before. This group of people are very susceptible. Malleable. Yes. Yeah, they're very susceptible to a Jim Jones kind of leader. Yeah, so there's going to be some kind of passenger right? There has to be, right? I mean, they've been really uh, docile considering what they've been put through. So... Yes, I think the flavor seasoning's not making it on the supply runner is going to be a problem. Something along the lines of, I feel like we're going to see more about Matt and or Ryan continuing continuing to go insane a little bit. I feel like they're really showing us, really showing us the two of them fraying at the at the seams. Something is going to happen either with one or both of them that's going to cause some issue. We now have Karen leading the effort to collect 500 people pounds worth of material. That obviously is not going to go well because... I mean, how could it? I mean, with, the, with these people in charge, how could that kind of mass... That's not a small mission. Think about how much 500 people weigh, you know, uh, yeah. to collect that all in one area of the ship. I don't know. That's going to be some source of disaster, I would imagine. And don't forget that there is some history between Rav and Mia and Doug. And now if Rav is just going to all of a sudden show up... I mean, that's not, doesn't seem like it's going to be a major plot point, but it's going to be something that happens. Well, I mean, especially since Mia seems to be really hooking up good with uh, Mads, and Doug is really still kind of with Spike, I guess. I, I mean, it's unclear if their relationship has reached first, second, or third, or home base. But yeah, I mean, Doug may be looking for some Rav love over Spike love. Uh, I am with you. That's going to be some kind of triangle in the making. And of course, there's the Billy... Jordan the comic and Ryan triangle too. So there's a lot of stuff in the fire that can happen in the next two weeks. I can wait to find out. I, I can hear the excitement in your voice. I think you need to take some rabbit nuggets to go, my friend. <laughs> Maybe a Mexican drink with a finger in it. And I think you need to buckle up for two more episodes. Good advice. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Avenue five podcast and we'll see you next week when maybe we escape the ring of shit. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. 
rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.